If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to turn to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 14. And just to recap um, last week, and a little bit over this series, if if, uh, you haven't been here for a while or or you're just joining us, um, I have allowed some of our, uh, I've taken a group of young men uh, through a pastoral training process to teach them to be expositors of the word. Um, And in that, Colton and Jaron have been faithful students. And let me, let me explain this to you. Not to me, although they have been faithful to, to me, they've been faithful to the word. And I've been grateful for that. I, I've longed for men to preach the word um, and not to preach and add the word. That tracking with me on that. Um, so I've just been grateful for their work. They've been faithful to it. Um, and so if you're just joining us um, over the last a few months, we've been going through um, a series through the book of Galatians. And so last week, Jaron taught on Galatians chapter three, those first nine verses. And in this text, we saw Paul begin to challenge the false belief. He's been challenging the false belief all along, but specifically challenging the false belief that we're saved by works. And in this third chapter, Paul is addressing some major issues with the church that they had walked away from the grace of God. And in doing this, they were really living double lives, as Jaron showed us last week. And so they were not living according to faith. And if you noticed last week in verses one through five, every verse ended with a question mark. Try try creating a message around that, uh, around a bunch of questions. But Paul said to the Galatians, ultimately in verse one through five, How were you first saved? How were you saved? Was it by works of your own hand or was it by faith in Jesus Christ? And the answer, of course, Paul is defending is faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul's point is, listen, you don't have to look any further than how you first came to Christ. And not only when you first came to Christ, but when I was with you. And so this is how salvation was accomplished faith in Jesus Christ. And then in verses six through nine, we saw the testimony of Abraham. And this is important that Paul used Abraham as an argument of salvation by faith. And he's gonna continue to use this. And so Paul is using the Abrahamic argument that Abraham was saved by faith, not by works. And if we go back and we look in the Old Testament, this is true of Abraham's whole life. Abraham's whole life revolved around faith. He left home by faith. He had a child in old age by faith. He almost sacrificed that child by faith. And then ultimately that we see in Genesis chapter 15, verse six, Abraham was justified. He was declared righteous. And so he was saved by faith, which righteousness was then credited to his account. So Abraham's entire life, if you think about it, and if you look back in the Old Testament, 430 years before the law even came into the scene, Abraham was saved by faith. And so Paul is basically arguing, listen, if you're going to be a true child of Abraham, then you better follow in the means of salvation that Abraham followed, which was by faith alone, apart from works. 
And so ultimately, Paul's focus and his aim in this text, and, and I would argue in this whole book of Galatians, is to point these churches back to gospel freedom. And so there's this repetitiveness that we're going to see throughout chapter 3, even next week when we look at the ending part of chapter 3. There's a repetitiveness to this section, if not the whole book. And in this repetitiveness, he is incredibly tactful and intentional. And he's telling the churches that the works of your flesh don't save you. You're justified by faith. In fact, over and over and over again, we're going to see a heavy dose of it here in this portion of the text. And let me tell you, I, I believe that repetitiveness is good. There is great value in repetitiveness and especially gospel repetitiveness. And I think it's, it's true that if we thought intentionally about it, there are probably some powerful illustrations in front of us of the importance of gospel repetitiveness. Let me give you an example from my own life. I have been with many cell phone companies to provide a, a phone service for me. Now, bear with me. I, I've got a point here. I've been with a plan of prepaid cards. I've gone through T-Mobile, through AT&T, and now we have a plan with some of our family through Verizon. Now, you can say what you will, but let me tell you, usually what happens when our families both have that half number to cover, and when the day gets closer, we pay the bill, right? That makes sense. But for this reason alone, I would stick with Verizon, because when I first got the app to be able to accurately pay the bill and saw that our family had paid their half, a message came across my screen that has never been communicated to me by any other cell phone company, paid in full. Month after month, paid in full. And so the repetitiveness of this is actually very helpful and very comforting, and not just as a Verizon customer, but also as a believer I mean, there's, there's no question, there's no hidden extra cost, it's paid in full. And so for me, I, I've gotten as giddy as to tell the, the person at Verizon, you know what I love about your app? Let me share the gospel with you. <laughs> Seriously, get Verizon, it's a great way to share the gospel. It's paid in full. But it's funny for me how this message causes pause it really causes me to ask a question because the gospel isn't preached within the app, but it really is an illustration for me of a greater truth. It causes me to ask, am I living today by faith that it is paid in full? And so let me tell you, there is value, great value in repetitive language. Often, if not always in communication and in practice, if I want to imprint something into my brain or even yours in my preaching, I will repeat it. If I want to imprint something into your brain, I will repeat it. This is valuable because in the midst of all the noise around us in this world, too often we easily forget the important things that sometimes we just call repetitive. And so this is what Paul is doing in his communication to the churches in Galatia. He's being incredibly repetitive in this text. But it's not because he can't figure out how to get his message across, but because he's using any and every method to drive home that it's Christ alone that saves. 
Because remember, we've looked at this already. It's not Jesus plus the law. It's not Jesus plus circumcision that equals salvation. It's Jesus plus nothing else that equals salvation. So opposite to the weighty burden and belief of the Judaizers, Paul is writing to point them back to Christ, to point them back to their faith in him and back to the grace they had received. And so what we're going to see and unpack from our text this morning is that if we rely on our works, then we are cursed. But our righteousness is from living by faith and our redemption is in Christ alone. So if you're taking notes, those are your fill in the blanks this morning, that if we rely on our works, then we are cursed. But our righteousness is from living by faith and our redemption is in Christ alone. And so we're going to read in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, We thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, that you are in control. God, this morning, we thank you for the freedom that we have to open your word. And Father, I pray that that as we go to unpack this text, to look deeply into this text, God, whatever we are coming in with and whatever system we have to explain our justification, to explain our right standing with you. Father, would you wipe us of that? Would you take all that we have and give us Jesus? God, we love you and we thank you for this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So right as we get into the text... Paul is informing these foolish and confused, these bewitched Galatians, as he would say earlier in the text, that if they are going to live according to the law, then they are under a curse, as he says in verse 10. And in this text as a whole, Paul is really addressing the false belief, this false belief that their law performance can give them a right standing before God. And so in the second half of verse 10, Paul says, for it is written. Now, the reason he says this is because he's going to begin to quote Old Testament. This is a standard formula used in introduction to quote other scripture. And so Paul really draws here on Deuteronomy 27 and and chapter 28 to show that every person, whether Jew or Gentile, who relies on works of the law is under the curse of, of the law. And so we see in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, it says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. 
And then also in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 58, if you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. And so here, Paul's quoting of Deuteronomy chapter 27 and chapter 28 is really to inform the Galatians that if they're going to listen to the argument of the Judaizers, the belief system of the Judaizers, the practices of the Judaizers, then they must obey the law entirely, not just a portion of it. Because failure to do so results in a curse, not the blessings. And so that curse really stands in direct contrast to the blessing of Abraham that comes to those who trust God. And this includes Gentiles, which we saw earlier in verses 6 through 9. And in John Calvin's commentary on verse 10, he gives beautiful wisdom that I think is so relevant to help us further understand the importance of this false system of belief. He says, the argument of Paul would not stand if we had sufficient strength to fulfill the law. For there would then be a fatal objection to the minor proposition. Either Paul reasons badly or it is impossible for men to fulfill the law. Either Paul reasons badly or it's true that it's impossible for men to fulfill the law. Now, what Calvin says here is absolute truth. It is impossible for us to fulfill the law. And if you've come in this morning and you said, no, I don't think so. Okay, let's just do the Ten Commandments test for a second. Let's go Exodus 20 for a moment and just look at just a couple of these commandments. Let's look at the first one, that you shall have no other gods before me. And maybe for you, you've come in. I have not placed a portion of my life on another worship service. There aren't songs I sing to, a, to another God. There isn't a platform like this, and, and, and that may be true. But do you love things with more dedication and more fervor than you love God? And you don't have to answer that. Yes, you do. And so do I. Let's look at the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Now, for you, you're saying, listen, pastor, I haven't murdered anyone especially not today. Now I'm going to get in a car after this and road rage is a real thing and something may happen that's out of my control. But for you, you may be saying, listen, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't murdered anyone. Now that may be true, but your hearts are filled with anger. And then let's look at the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Now for you, you may be saying, I haven't slept with another person's spouse. I have not committed this adultery. And that may be true, but your hearts are filled with lust. And so here's the truth that we see because Paul is not reasoning badly. You and I are going to over and over and over again fail this test. And so the 10 commandments, the the laws were not given to you because you were going to be able to perfectly obey them, but they were given to you to show you that at the very base level that you would never be able to and you needed help. So the law reveals our sin and points out our need for our savior. And so this is where we see Christ come into the scene because Christ fulfilled the law. He said clearly, he doesn't doesn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. 
in our place so that by faith in him, we could become free in him. But here, there is a message that is not leading to righteousness at all. It's not leading to life and it's not leading to faith in Christ. These Jewish leaders who are called the Judaizers were really teaching that our works, our right standing and our righteousness before God came from our works of the law. Now let's, let's reflect on this for a moment because what is concerning is where this teaching and belief system has come from. And we've reflected on this before, but I think it is so critical to our, 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 our culture today. Let's reflect on where this is coming from. It's not the secular humanists from Athens. It's not the blatant opposers to the gospel. It's God-fearing Jews who are claiming to be Christians from, Ju- from Jerusalem. And so Paul believed here that there was a teaching among the churches of Galatia that was so destructive to people and so dishonoring to God that it didn't come with a right standing before God by works, but a curse by being under it. And so if you notice in verses 10 through 14 in this text, each verse contains an Old Testament quotation. In fact, if you have an ESV Bible, they're in quotation marks. And so each verse has a quotation from the Old Testament because what Paul is really going to do here is he's going to say, okay, let's let the law speak for itself. Let's let the law testify as to whether the law can actually save you. So let's go to your Old Testament. And so in verse 11, Paul says, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. Now here, Paul is quoting the Old Testament. He is quoting Habakkuk 2.4, which says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And so through this, Paul is showing us that the Old Testament blatantly makes clear to us that a right standing before God comes by faith, not by the law. And so this brief statement from the prophet Habakkuk is one of the most important and most quoted Old Testament statements in the New Testament. And so Paul uses it here to show that the just live by faith, not by law. Because being under the law isn't the way to be found just before God. Only living by faith is. And so if you are found to be just, approved before God, you have done it by a life of faith. But if your life is all about living under the law, then God does not find you approved. Now in verse 11, Paul uses an important word that we've covered before previously, but we need to go back and look at. When he says, no one is justified before God by the law. And so when Paul quotes from Habakkuk 2.4, the emphasis is on just. The just shall live by faith. Now the Old Testament tells us that approval by God through the law must be earned by actually living in obedience to the law, not just trying to. 
And so this is important for us to understand that the law is not of faith. But as Paul quotes then Leviticus 18.5, the man who does them shall live by them. Now, some might come back to Paul as he is quoting these Old Testament prophets. And and those people who come back may say, look, I'll do the best I can under the law and let faith cover the rest. I will follow these Judaizers, but I'll lean on faith when leaning on faith and I'll lean on law when leaning on law. God will look at my performance, my, my efforts and my good intentions and credit to me righteousness. The important thing is that I'm really trying. Wrong. Paul proves from the Old Testament itself that this simply isn't good enough because the path of approval by the law and faith do not run together because the law is not a faith. Leviticus 18.5 is clear. This is why Paul quotes it, quotes it. That if you want to live by the law, you must do it. Not try to do it, not intend to do it, and not even want to do it. You must do it all. Do you feel the weight of that yet? So what then will give us a right standing before God? We are justified We have right standing before God by the work of Jesus, not by our keeping of the law, but by our faith in Jesus. And so let me tell you this. There is no other gospel that saves you. There is no other system that saves you. And there is no other works than Jesus's works that save you. Our redemption comes through Christ alone. And in verse 13, Paul brings it back to the beautiful truth of the gospel. Almost as if he knows the the weariness of the Galatians under this false belief. He drives home this point, and and, and let me drive it home for us. Because you want to know why you are not saved by what you do? Do you want to know why your good person mentality won't save you? And you know why your efforts and your work and your energy put into this thinking is flawed because you are trying to reapply what Christ has already done for you. And so in verse verse 13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So our redemption is in Christ alone. And let me tell you, redemption is an important word here, an important idea Because when it comes to the law, we didn't actually do it. We didn't do it all. But if we follow the law, it puts us under a curse. But Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And that word redeemed has the idea of buying back or purchasing out of. So it isn't just rescuing, it's paying a price to rescue Do you understand that? That Jesus bought us out from under the curse of the law. And how does he do this? How does he buy us out from under the curse of the law? It's that Jesus became cursed on our behalf. He stood in our place and he took the curse we deserved. Paul says clearly that he became a curse for us. 
So if we look at the life of Christ, he had done nothing on his own to be hanged on a tree. He's the only one who perfectly lived out the law. But for our sake, Christ took the place of sinners like you and I. And he was hanged like any other transgressor. And so Jesus Christ is the one who committed no crimes, was perfectly obedient to the law and a a representative of the law. He became our substitute by hanging on that tree and thereby taking our curse upon himself, as Paul says in verse 13, which we deserved. And so let me tell you something. Our righteousness comes only through our faith in this substitute, not in our works. That's why in verse 14, it's our faith in Jesus and his act on that cross that actually cleanses us and makes us righteous before God. And so because Christ redeemed us, as Paul said in verse 13, I want you to listen to this and just grasp this in verse 14. Because of Christ's redemption that we see in verse 13, in verse 14, he does this. He does his redemptive work so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so I want to help you feel the weight of this text a bit more. I want to read that to you again. But where it says the Gentiles, for a moment I want you to put your name in there. That in verse 13, as it says, Christ redeemed us. He does this so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to you. So that you might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you feel the weight of that? Do you feel the intensity of that? Remember, Paul is speaking to two groups here at times. He is speaking to Jews who believe they have it all together and they have it all right. And he's speaking to Galatians who are deeply confused and deeply foolish and saying, listen, Christ redeemed you so that in Christ Jesus, in himself, the blessings of Abraham might come to you so that you also might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you feel the weight of that? That our trust is not in our own works to earn our own salvation. Our trust is in Jesus's finished works on the cross. So that is the good news of the gospel, that you and I have right standing before God. So it's not by our own efforts. It's not by our works. It's not by our skills. It's not by how good we do, following less of this or more of that, but by the incredible love and mercy of a God that pursues busted up sinners like you and me. You know how many times I've repeated that paragraph to you? 18 times over the last two years. You know why? Because gospel repetitiveness is valuable so that you would not trust in your own works, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So here it's in Christ, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. That promise has been given to you and me. 
and we can stand righteous before a holy God even though we're not and receive his acceptance. And it's not based on your performance, but based on what Jesus did for us that we see in verse 13. So whether you are a believer who has placed your stance before God wrongly on your own works, or or you're someone who is not a believer, who has never surrendered your life to Christ, let me ask you, if your life is based upon the tiring system of what you do, then can I encourage you to do something important this morning? Believe and have faith. Don't, don't do works to save yourself. Do what Paul would instruct us to do that we find in Romans 10 verse 13 when he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, brothers and sisters, whether your belief is based on your own works or you have no faith, no personal relationship with Jesus at all, call upon the name of the Lord. Now, I know one thing that is true, that all you doers in the room are going to rationalize and systemize the heck out of this. And I know because I am one. I mean, all of the questions come into your mind. What, what if I don't completely have it? What if there is something I do need to do that I have, I've missed or I haven't gotten there yet? What if, I, what if I have not believed enough? What if? Here's what I would tell you. Look at the cross. Jesus absorbed it all. It's paid in full. Every time you look there, it is paid in full. And so the cross is the centerpiece where we see the, re- the remedy to our broken and sinful lives that by the work of God and the person of Jesus, it's an unmeasurably loving God, full of wrath, who is constantly in pursuit of busted up people and who justly crushes his own son to reconcile you and I so that we can walk in his new resurrected life. So let me tell you, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, you should never stop reflecting on the greatness of the cross and salvation if your faith is in Christ. And let me tell you this morning, friend who has come in, who is not a Christian, let me encourage you to look not to yourself, not to your own works, not to your own effort, but look to Jesus. So this morning, if you've come in, if if you want to be saved, if you want to receive salvation, it's not about all the things that we're going to systematically tell you that you need to do. It's that you trust in what Jesus Christ has already done for you. That is how we receive salvation because Jesus plus nothing else equals our our salvation. And so for the sake of repetitiveness, let me close with this question for us. For you to ask yourself this week, do I trust in the finished work of Jesus? Do you trust, do you have faith 
in the finished work of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you again. Father, you, you know the hearts, you know the lives, and you know the stories. So Father, I pray that for those who have received salvation but are, are walking wrongly in a system of works, Father, I pray that you would bring us back to reflecting on the cross. That it's not just that we receive right standing, but we also receive blessing. That we receive the blessing of Abraham and that we also would receive the promised spirit. So God, we thank you for the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Father, I also pray for the wandering brother or sister and the lost brother and sister. Father, I pray that this morning they would let go of their works like a bag full of bricks. That they would stop trying to do and that they would trust in you. God, I love you. I thank you, Father, for your word, for the truth that it speaks, for the way that it instructs. And so, Father, I pray that as we go out from here, having heard the truth of your word, God, I pray that, that we wouldn't do works to try and earn our salvation, but, this, that, but that this week, in this life, every day of the rest of our life, we would follow through in the truth. We would seek you in the truth, that we would live out the truth that it has been paid in full. So God, I ask this morning that we would trust in the finished work of Jesus. And it's in your wonderful and holy and precious name. Amen.